0: Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Shiva, the God of Death. Today we are discussing the 2007 crime legal thriller, Michael Clayton, directed by Tony Gilroy, with my guest, Michael Andrus. Hey, Michael, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, Nathan. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. How's your uh, class action suit going?
1: I gotta say, I'm spending a lot of
0: time sweating through my shirt in the bathroom. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I, I haven't seen this movie uh, probably since it came out. And before we started, Whitney's like, Do you remember anything about this movie? And I was like, Yes and no. But I remember Tilda's, Tilda Swinton sweating in the bathroom. I don't know why that image I mean, stuck with me. <laughs> they they go out of their way to
1: make us notice how much anxiety and stress she's going through, you know, with the sweaty pits and her pearls. And uh, yeah, no, that that was a defining image that stuck in my head from this movie.
0: (laughs) Well, it's the 15 year anniversary of Michael Clayton. and, And so I thought this was kind of a fun time to revisit this film. 2007 is considered one of the best movie years. And Michael Clayton has gained the reputation of being one of those films. It didn't win for Best Picture, but it was up against Juno, Atonement, There Will Be Blood, and The Ultimate Winner in one of my favorite films, Snow Country for Old Men. And that was back when the nominees, they limited it to five films. It was nominated for six other Academy Awards and garnered an award for the sweaty Tilda Swinton for Best Supporting Actress. If you haven't seen the film, Michael Clayton is played by George Clooney, who is a fixer for a prestigious law firm. He is brought in to remedy a situation after one of their lawyers has a breakdown while representing a chemical company that he knows is guilty in a multi-billion dollar class action suit. So before, you know, wh- where were, where was Michael in 2007? Uh, were you watching a lot of movies during this time? So I, I
1: was watching movies. 2007, um, I had moved back. Home uh, to San Antonio. I finished up college, and uh, you know, I had all these aspirations of, you know, being this world traveler and and maybe be working for the CIA. And I'd studied international affairs and in Russian. I'd lived in Russia, uh, and then I couldn't get a job. They didn't they didn't want me. Uh, and so, I moved back home, and oddly enough, was working for a law firm in 2007. Uh, just as as like a research clerk, paper jockey um, at this commercial litigation firm, and about nine months in, realized like, holy cow, this is not what I want to do with my life. But I have no idea what to do with my life, and I can't remember if I saw this movie while I was was working there or not, or if I saw it a, a little bit later. But I do remember that when i saw it it was just it was so fascinating it was like wait if this is what the legal profession is like i both want in and i want nothing to do with it whatsoever like it was this this weird dynamic of like well this version of law seems really fun also it seems super messed up and is that what i really want with my life so (laughs) uh yeah in 2007 i was living back home with mom sad as it is but you have student loans come due and you don't really have a high paying gig and so what what are your options really um, but i was still very aspirational i guess in my thinking about what my life could be um, i was still very much intrigued with the idea of you know th- these grand schemes and machinations and uh, how could i play into that and in backroom deals and and you know so part of me still had that that kind of Uh, espionage spy sneaky you know behind the scenes operator mentality which which George Clooney's character is I mean he talks about he's just a janitor like he cleans things up he's you know the the ultimate behind the scenes guy and Mm. there was something that that did appeal to me about being a behind the scenes guy that that just got things done uh and yet you know like how much of a behind the scenes guy are you going to be when you're living at home with mom (laughs)
0: <laughs> well yeah uh i mean I- any kind of movie that explores you know a profession like this and people who are actually in the prof- profession you know it's kind of how i wonder you know i'm sure it's how medical doctors like watch something like gray's anatomy or something <laughs> like that of like you know this of course is maybe exaggeration on you know on the world or whatever like that but uh yeah i it's it's funny you said that you almost um you kind of ruined a moving musings question I had for you because I was gonna ask you if you <laughs> if you had had any kind of ties to the legal world in that way so that's really funny that you say that because um, I, I never had aspirations myself to be a lawyer or anything like that but um, my my mom uh, growing up she uh, she basically aspired to be a court reporter and so there was a lot of work that she did for a court reporting firm so in high school, um, I was a runner for them. and then, um, also, my uncle was a lawyer, and so I worked in his office sometimes. Now, not even to the depth of working in the legal office it was literally uh, maybe filing folders, I guess, maybe something like that. But even after kind of similar um, after college, I moved back home, was trying to kind of find what I really wanted to do. I worked, um, for that court reporting firm again and did video depositions. So I never had anything go quite off the rails. Like, uh, it does in this one with, it, you know, a lawyer starting to undress himself in front of everybody, but <laughs> Thank God. I mean, that, that would have been, uh, traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. But there, I mean, uh, there was definitely some that, you know, uh, tension you know feeling the tension and probably very similar in this movie really hits really well of like um you know most of the time that that world produces very very smart people but very strong-willed individuals as well so almost i mean they didn't necessarily speak to one another quite in the sharpness that the screenplay provides but there is kind of a you know biting you know it's like Um, it's like two wrestlers in a ring, but nobody's actually throwing punches. You know, it's just kind of, you know, verbal jousting, so to speak. Um, and so anyway, uh, so I, I don't know why this, that, you know, this, a movie like this or something like the, uh, the good fight, uh, that TV show, the world always kind of fascinates, fascinates me, even though I, like you didn't, didn't ever want to be officially a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) In any way,
1: when I was in college, one of the jobs I had kind of like like you just outlined was I was a runner at a law firm and, you know, you're shuttling, you know, file folders and uh, sealed envelopes to one place and another. And it's like this all feels like so official. And yet at the same time, it's just like, hey, can I set up this, you know, facts and copy business? you know, at this location. And it's just like, what, why does this have to be a stamped and sealed envelope that, you know, just some college kid is delivering? I don't know, but that was college station, Texas and not New York where, where Michael Clayton is set and stakes are, are clearly vastly different.
0: Yeah, it's very different. So I, I jokingly really would, uh, uh, being in Texas, uh, I don't, I don't want to offend any other, uh, people that might be from these Texas cities, but I could always tell a difference between a Dallas lawyer, a Houston lawyer, and then, um, you know, basically <laughs> like a, a Louisiana Shreveport uh, lawyer. It was, it was really funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, different one, different people had different, uh, different personas for sure. Um, and the other thing, before we jump into this movie, I kind of teased in a prior podcast of why, uh, this movie means a lot to me, even though this is the only the second time I'd seen it. But uh, in 2007 uh, is when Whitney and I started dating and this was our first movie date.
1: Oh, wow. so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, anyway, I was kind of excited to watch this just because uh, Whitney jokely said, do you remember anything about this movie? Because you were like nervous being around me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I was like yes i do and, uh, yeah a little bit so anyway that was fun and she had um, uh, she had all intentions of watching with this uh, watching this movie with me again but uh as i do with most movies i usually start it late and i think she fell asleep pretty fast to you know not because of the movie itself but uh i just sure. I, I start things a little too late for her so <laughs> anyway no I'm, uh,
1: I'm in the i'm in the same boat so did, did she remember the movie when you asked her about it?
0: No, not re- no not really. So she she didn't really remember it that that much. So First date uh, love, man. <laughs> um we uh she uh like and it's funny. It is it is a movie that we would generally like watch watch together. I I was kind of laughing like, oh, "was this a good choice <laughs> for <a> first date?" <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh maybe certainly better than there will be blood i think or maybe some other offerings <laughs> i don't know. <laughs> you know like this as
1: you as you talked about in in the open like this mo- movie year was just so loaded and it, was. it like i think about it now you know going to the theater and it's like wait we could have a year where we had michael clayton there will be blood you know and no country for old men it's just like oh yeah those could all be mainstay like big weekend openings and it's like well yeah and you would take a date to that and then now we think back and it's like man that that's a tough hang none of those movies there's <laughs> like hey you want to be my girlfriend let's go watch this movie about you know um corporations who who murder attorneys or let's go watch this movie about you know an oil baron who bludgeons a priest in a bowling alley (laughs) or let's go you know watch this movie who kills dudes with like a you know a cattle i don't even know it's not a cattle prod it's it's like uh the air compressor (laughs) bolt to the head like yeah let's be you want to date after we watch all this stuff but at the same time, it's like, well, maybe that's the best way to know—is this person someone you want to pair up with? If they can, if they can watch these things with you and enjoy them with you, then, like, yeah, no, we're good,
0: we're set. Yeah, yeah. Well, even Juno, who is like, I feel like when the Academy Awards just had the five uh, best picture nominees, they all kind of fit a certain slot, so to speak. So, like, Atonement was kind of the period. Uh, drama so to speak and Juno is kind of the you know the comedy that is a little deeper than just a comedy but even you talking about that like something like Juno Juno is a very dark <laughs> film Like yeah, it, it, it really is and especially you know the uh, Jason Bateman's character and how he responds uh, to Ju- Juno you know and r- romantically and all that guy. you know so yeah you're right 2000 <laughs> had some uh I guess maybe we were coming to terms a little bit with uh, the world we live in, which I think is why this movie still, I think, resonates today. I I, kind of was trying to place myself back in 2007 as far as kind of what it was saying about uh, mistrust with bigger corporations. Is that something that kind of, I don't know, did that strike you at all?
1: I mean, it definitely so I rewatched it twice this week. Like you, I, I tend to fire up movies late at night and then like, I get like halfway two thirds of the way through and I'm like, what am I doing? I need to go to bed. Um, and so it it took me a couple of times of watching it to just kind of reorient myself. But I, I did find the, the mistrust of institutions, both mm-hmm. the law firm and the corporation side of this, um, as very prescient. Like, I don't know that we've grown any more trustful of big corporations or the systems around um, our legal process or, or just greater economy. If anything, it, that has deteriorated pretty significantly since 2007. And and watching this, I did find myself feeling a little bit jaded of like, yeah, no, this is just how the world works. Like when it, you know, spoiler alert, uh, like when Arthur's character is murdered, I was just like, yeah, that's probably a thing that happens. And then like, as I was making some notes about that and and then wrote that, I was like, gosh, you wrote that like it was just not a thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that goes on. Like I'm, I'm not in that world. I'm clearly not you know, a journalist who looks into these things. But at the same time, like in 2022, I had no problem accepting that that was just a viable solution to a problem that this uh, company and firm had.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that, that scene um, almost, I mean, there's lots of scenes where we have seen, you know, covered up murders (laughs) before, but that one really almost. And I think this movie as a whole, even after you finish it, there's there's something really realistic (laughs) about it. It's kind of like, oh, man, if someone is taken out in that way, in the way that he is, and especially the context of his uh, character and his demeanor (laughs) at that time. Um, it, you know, it's almost a little frightening, like, oh yeah, I can, I can totally see how this would, it wasn't a death that was like brushed under the rug, but it kind of was like, it wasn't something that the police was we're going to heavily investigate, but you know, the way they uh, shoot, whatever they do, the toxin and in between the webs of his feet (laughs) and everything, you're just like, Oh my, I I know there's a certain professionalism to it. That was a little frightening. Oh, Uh, I I, absolutely. Like
1: one of the things in rewatching it, it was just like, Holy cow. These guys are professionals. Like this, when you watch that scene and the way that it's, it's written and the way it's filmed, it's just like, this is not the first time these guys have done something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, well then is that is that preying upon our our deepest darkest fears about what corporate America does or how the legal profession works and I don't I don't know. I'm not I don't want to believe that. I don't think I do believe that, but at the same time I what this movie does so effectively I think is make the viewer feel small and out of out of out of the influence um, and power structures that that really govern overall society and the overall economy. And, you know, if someone like Arthur, who is brilliant in, in the way that that he is portrayed, is so brilliant, can be off. So efficiently, then who who am I as a person who you know is shuffling papers from a law firm in College Station to to some title company or whatever? Then who am I in the grand scheme of things? And and what I think then, you know, cinematically, just kind of sets that is when Michael gets in the the car at the end of the movie, and it's just him us watching him just drive, and it's in. And I think what is so resonant about about that closing scene is just like, holy cow, we have to we have to, we're just washed over with all of this um, power, and and what are we to do with that? How are we to to sit with that? And it's fascinating to think about. Okay, what is, what's Michael's next move after that? And at the same time, it's like no, that he's he's paralyzed by this situation. And so are we as the viewer of, of, of this movie of like, what the heck just happened? And how screwed up is all of this? And is this the way the world works? And I think Michael sitting in that car is having all of those exact same thoughts. And so as, as many great scenes as there are in the movie, that's the one for me that, that I think I probably connect to most which is by the conclusion of the film, it's just like, no, we're feeling all of the things Michael is feeling as well as we just sit in this car kind of, you know, on the verge of, of being catatonic or whatever, uh, you, you know, writing like, okay, what's next? Like what, what is, what does this say about the world? What does it say about me as a, as a part of this weird
0: world? Yeah. Uh, too bad. This is a, audio podcast. Cause, uh, <laughs> I'm just nodding along completely with <laughs> what you're saying. Cause yeah, that's what really hit me about this movie was that because Michael Clayton, the character is a big, big part of his firm. Like he, you know, he, he provides a, a great service to them without, without him, there's a lot of things they might can do, but there's that whole, um, uh, I mean, who can't relate to not be feeling appreciated in whatever world that they may you know, inhabit? Like, I think everybody can relate to that feeling. And what I liked about the ending of this movie, it's almost playing with our relationship to movies because we love happy, big endings. I, those type of endings, I think, are what make movies memorable. A movie can almost be so so but if it has a great ending you know you leave leave with better feelings about it and that's what i like about this movie because it's when he confronts tilda swinton's character at the end i mean it is i mean that's a a great movie scene you're like oh yeah like you know he basically sticks it to her but then that scene of in the cab and you're sitting there and A, it's also it's making you think as an audience member, kind of thinking through about all that. Okay, so what happens at this point? What happens? And <laughs> it may be a little depressing <laughs> a bit, but you know, will much happen from her, you know, being arrested? I mean, there there might be some things for this chemical company that, you know, they they might have to work a little bit harder on their end, but all these people that are involved in this class action suit, are they really gonna get you know, uh, w- what they deserve from whatever, you know, they've gone through. But I just like that it sits with, I, you know, I don't think Michael Clayton, in a way, like, is his life going to be any better from doing this? Uh, probably not. <laughs> you know? No, and, and man, that is such a great point. Like, when you
1: think about it, especially now, it's like, you know, so a year after this, we have, the great recession you know that kicks off we have the the collapse of the housing market and you think about all of the different executives at those companies who never saw any sort of criminal charges for for the behavior and it again goes back to this feeling somewhat prescient of like I don't think Karen Tilda Swinton's character really has any significant consequence that that comes from this and Maybe that's just me looking back now through the lens of of how these things have happened, but I think you're really right, Nathan. I I don't think like there's no significant consequence for Karen, there's no big outcome from Michael. I thought one of the most um, crushing lines that that came in the movie is when uh, Marty, played by by Sydney Pollack, is telling Michael at his house, he's like, you know, you are good as an attorney, but you're great as this, you know, this mop guy, this cleanup janitor guy. And he's like, show people your value in doing this thing you're great at. And what I, what you get out of that scene is when I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't care <laughs> that I'm great at it. I don't want to do this because of how kind of corrupting it is of of whatever is going on internally with him. And and so it's like, yeah. All of this big drama all of this um intrigue is not going to result in any significant consequence for the karen character or michael's character or marty for that matter you know it's just kind of like which is so weird because it's like well this feels so huge and 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 the entire movie is about the drama of, of this thing and yet if we go 60 days 90 days you know even a full year forward in in whatever this story is all of them are probably still doing their job right <laughs>
0: probably <laughs> yeah uh and uh i i think i, I also kind of i don't know if you felt like this uh rewatching this but i kind of almost wondered uh, why did you, did you like how essentially they set up the movie and then it's a flashback and then kind of come Did you like how they did that? Uh, uh, yeah. I'm
1: a big fan of the flashback.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the things I liked about it was, you know, they, everybody's talking uh, Michael Clayton up so much. And when he has to go to that, I, I I forgot what his role was in life, but it basically to clean up that hit and run that that guy did. I, In the moment we're watching it, I was kind of like, "Why does this scene exist?" Because I remember the movie enough to be like, "I know this isn't the movie." But then sitting with it and his character, and kind of talking about um, people really not wanting to be good at what they're doing, I think that scene exists to basically show like, "This is what Michael Clayton has to deal with all the time," or just you know probably these clients who feel like they're above the law, above whatever happens to him and stuff and so uh, what you said there really kind of hit me in that moment of like yeah that that that's good because we don't you know a lot of this movie does really well with his character because a lot of it's we just have to believe he's good at what he does because people are saying that you know and so but then i think that scene exists that kind of shows the other side of like yeah this is why he wants to get out of this you know and who can also relate to him basically wanted to start this restaurant business and it just fell under. And especially what you just now thinking about what you hit on with the housing crisis and stuff. I think maybe that's why that, that this movie resonated so much around 2007. Cause like, especially with the housing crisis, I mean, you totally, you totally can relate to the, relate to the guy. He, he, he's trying to get out. He's just, he's just stuck. And I think a lot of people can really relate (laughs) to that feeling.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, man, that's one of the things I think that sticks the best and what holds up the best about this movie 15 years on is that feeling of being stuck. That, that even if you're good at what you do, perhaps you can't escape the overall machinations of of a larger system or institution. And, and that sounds like super, you know, basement tinfoil hat stuff. But like, I, I think there is a feeling within our overall, um uh, societal consciousness of like yeah but what could i do like how how could i influence this or that and and what this movie does is, is it says look here's michael he's plugged in all the way at the top he's super effective at his job he has seemingly unlimited resources on his hands. and and he too feels that that lack of agency that lack of empowerment to change the environment around him and what i think plays really well in the film is is you know in that third act when he's back at the the poker table and he's playing cards again it's kind of like i got out of this world nothing changed i might as well go back to it mm-hmm. and you know i think that's really paired well then with the scene the scenes that follow of his attempted assassination is like, yeah, I'm I am powerless against this world. And I can't even really control my own destiny. And now people are trying to kill me. And I just happened to luck out, you know, Mm -hmm. there there was a glitch, and I, I lucked out. And then I think at the same time, there is a moment where he claims that agency. You know, by throwing the watch, throwing the ID into the the fire of the car, being like, "Okay, I'm going to take control of the things I can take control of. And I'm going to go after Karen. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to see Arthur's vision through. And to that end, in a weird way, there is a message of hope within this. Of Like, look, if your car is burning and the horses have run away and you're just kind of, you know, left what what can you do and it's like well do the thing you can do Mm -hmm. which is the right thing to do and just do the next right thing and and for him you know that's no arthur was right arthur through all of his experience through all of that time was like i've been taking money for the wrong reason it's time to do the right thing and expose this for what it is and then michael sees that through. To completion and whether or not that has lasting impact as we just talked about a little bit ago I think is inconsequential because I in the moment for that character I think it, it was a real marker of like okay I'm not just this guy that that Marty's pigeonholed me to be I am my own person I'm going to do the things that I can if that makes a difference great if it doesn't great but I'm taking ownership of my own life Mm-hmm. And so I think to that end, too, that it's another place that is resonant with audiences. It was certainly resonant with me of just like, yeah, in my own story, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, well, I don't have any influence over this. And it's like, well, no, actually you do. Like you can control you mm-hmm. and you can do the next right thing and you can um, make the the moral or ethical choices you need to make. And then feel whatever sense of peace you you feel from that yeah i don't know that feels super rambly but
0: um no i i I, I completely connect to that and i i think the moment uh when um he's basically uh goes back up to his law firm to uh, expose this memo that arthur was trying to put up and so uh they did really good i thought with um, have it bound it just in that simple red, red cover. Um, and I, I also like it it really doesn't go into the details of everything with this class action suit. Um, it didn't need to, it didn't get bogged down in that. Cause you know, there's a couple of times they flip through and you see some charts and stuff like that. But, you know, I just like the heaviness of this document, even though we don't know what exists in it and he brings it uh, to his bosses. And then they present that check to him that he he's been asking for which you know was a huge ask and i I, I feel like uh other screenplays would immediately had jumped into a scene where he's like i can't take this money i can't you know and i love the moment he just he just take he just absorbs it all and there's just a scene where he's just sitting with that check in one hand (laughs) this memo (laughs) in the other hand And I I just loved how this movie sat with that because I think more often than not, uh, more often than not, uh, that's really how we really (laughs) make big decisions like that. Like we, you know, I think a lot of film and television, you know, it's always like now, 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 you know, actions, uh, uh, you know, happen at the spur of the moment, that sort of thing. And I just, I, I really related to that moment. And what you had just talked about, it's just, uh you just feel the weight of everything and it's like just taking one or the other is just just not that simple and yeah um, such a that was such a hard scene and i will say
1: i did get a little distracted uh right before that when he goes to the fedex kinkos or whatever and and you know arthur's ordered like cases of these topics (laughs) to be made it's like Who was the employee that saw? Because you see like when he opens up the red folder, it's like confidential or like whatever. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, no, we're good. We're going to make a thousand copies of this. Um, And it's like, yeah, well, they're probably making like 10 bucks an hour. And then Michael walks in. It's like, here's a check for 80 grand. And it's just like, oh, yeah, there, there really are two different worlds here going on. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, uh, it, working in the marketing world, I've worked with uh, a lot of different uh, printing companies before, and it's funny that you said that uh, because um, I I just know that their willingness to hold that many boxes for that long would a probably not really happen. Uh, and then <laughs> and then also I started thinking about well the print a uh, print shop in New New York City like they probably don't have tons of storage for such things no (laughs) no not at all and like michael just slipped him like a
1: 20 so it's not like he's like hey here's like 800 bucks you know like it's like no here's a 20 he's like oh okay great
0: (laughs) (laughs) um I, i i wanted to ask you why uh it, it's something I maybe I'm still uh, kind of a little hung up with, but like, why do you think he got out of the car to look at those horses?
1: That is a great question. As, as I rewatched it, I was like, I, I don't have any explanation for that. Like, did he have us? Cause it starts with, he's being followed by the two henchmen goon dudes. Um, and then he pulls off on like that little side road mm-hmm. and loses them And it's like well did he know they were following him was he trying to evade them or was he just truly running away mm-hmm. and so i didn't understand that and then he gets out of the car and he sees these horses up on the hilltop and starts to approach them like i don't know i've I've been on some scenic drives in my life. This one did not seem all that particularly scenic. It looked like he was in New Jersey or or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then he just sees some horses and he gets out. Like I've never been compelled. And maybe when I'm 65 and I'm wearing my white New Balances and I'm driving through the Rockies <laughs> and I'll pull off on the side of the road and be like, oh, look, an elk. But like, I'm not there now. And I don't think Michael was there, particularly in his life phase. <laughs> So it's like why did he stop his car, get out, start to walk up this hill and look at horses? Like I have no logical explanation for why he did that. It makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah. Um
1: especially like you know sometimes movies will be like in the first act they're like and here's a horse. And then in <laughs> you know like in the third act it's like oh here's another horse and somehow it like closes the gap and in this it's just like no there were no horses at any point in this there was no relation to like even Michael's past as having a gambling problem nothing related to like horse racing it's just like no this dude was just like I've had an awful run over the last two weeks and this horse at five in the morning seems super peaceful I'm just gonna go chill on this hilltop in my suit there's no reason for it like it's a beautiful scene. It's one of the most, mm. I think, beautifully captured scenes uh, in the entire film. But there's no reason for it whatsoever.
0: No, maybe as a New Yorker, maybe he hadn't seen many horses before. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad you were maybe a little bit. You were a little con- uh, confounded by that as, as I was. <laughs> so, yeah. It uh, just
1: seems like pure. Just we're moving the plot along, like how to explain michael still being alive and also like given the scenery around that like how long did it take michael to get back to new york like yeah. we, we see him to just like running up a hill and it's and it's like well then how how long did that take did he did he just hail a cab like in the middle of you know rural new jersey or or whatever
0: i don't know <laughs> um well, uh, some something that hit me with us kind of talking about his decision that he makes in this movie and him sitting with it and deciding whether it's worth it or not, you know, it just kind of hit me. Uh, I was looking at my notes uh, a little bit. Is I really liked um, the family dynamics in this and his relationship to his brothers, and I liked how this movie he basically brings both of these brothers back in to his situation Um, and the scenes are real subtle. And, and just as we were talking it just kind of hit me of him, like, well, you know, he did this and maybe there's going to be more dire consequences for him moving forward from this point, but it feels like he's maybe kind of made those reconnections again with his brothers. And maybe that's all worth it um, towards the end, you know? And so I liked, I liked how they played, with that aspect in this movie, it being a big part of this movie, but also not something that they completely dwelled a, a lot. I mean, why I like about like this movie so much is like the th- almost all the things that are left unsaid <laughs> actually plays a really big part in the, the bigger picture of everything.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought it was really interesting at the dad's birthday party where he and his brother were like, yeah, we both have a shift you know, and like, mm-hmm. who's going to take it? And um, I didn't remember that his brother was a cop.
0: I didn't either.
1: Uh, and then, then once, like, you know, I kind of re-grasped that or whatever and was like, oh, there is this kind of beat throughout of like, Michael still having kind of this blue collar cop mentality while living in in working in this white collar attorney world and not really fitting into either one of them and then i think that's compounded even further with his relationship with the other brother who just kind of is is maybe a more raw representation of michael's degenerate nature like he, we don't totally get the picture of why this restaurant mm-hmm. went under. We we get um, a glimpse or, or maybe a, a a taste that this other brother has, maybe had addiction issues or or some other something that that has kept him from being successful. And you know, it's so it's kind of like both of these brothers represent big parts of who Michael is as a person. Um, and then you add Michael into that kind of troika and it's like, oh no. Yeah. This is just, everyone's got flaws here. Everyone is trying to escape something. And yeah, they, Gilroy doesn't spend any time exploring any of that in the movie. And yet that could be a movie in and of itself It's just like, what is this, this family dynamic and, uh, why, why are the tensions so strong? at that birthday party scene with their with their dad and i i think it's just a real testament to how well written this movie is that Mm -hmm. there is there are so many different threads i think and so many different plot lines that in and of themselves are stories that i'd want to spend time with like Mm -hmm. how did karen get into the role of general counsel and why is there so much anxiety in this and and you have to be competent to become general counsel of some big you know chemical or, or agribusiness and yet at the same time she has such crippling insecurity about how to solve problems and then we have this family story with michael and the brothers and um you know i would love to further as weird as it was to explore the relationship between Arthur and, um, the young woman, Mm -hmm. you know, and his, his attachment to that. And like what flipped there and what was Arthur's private life? Like, you know, leading into this and that whole backstory. And so it's like, I think a real Testament to Gilroy that, that these characters are so well-written and have such depth that I think it really helps make the movie as resonant as it is.
0: Yeah. Uh it it, it was kinda of, <laughs> kinda of funny that this uh, had I mean I was looking at movies that had anniversaries and obviously this one popped up. But also I, I didn't realize that Gilroy was uh kind of behind the indoor series that's on disney right now yeah yeah. and so all of a sudden like my podcast feed started like popping up with like like interviews with tony gilroy i was like wait what's like happening here and i haven't i haven't explored those yet but i i can't wait because i I know some of them are gonna hit on this movie so um i I can't wait to hear that but i was like oh that's that's kind of ironic that we chose this movie to talk about. And I, I I knew the series was coming out. I didn't know he was he was the one behind it. And I haven't watched it yet, but uh, it's gotten a lot of praise and I, I'm wondering if it's because of a lot of these things that we're talking about that he, you know, he he plays with. Have you watched the series at all?
1: Yeah, no, I've I've watched it and it's probably the best Star Wars content outside of the original stuff that disney plus or i don't even know who <laughs> lucasfilm i don't know who the, who the uh ori- you know the, the name on the label is but um it is filled with that same kind of tension that you experience in and michael clayton it's experienced with these small moments um uh, where there's there's clearly so much backstory that is not being portrayed on film but it is super compelling and and I have found like a deep level of investment in something that I know very little about uh in watching Andor and and I think there is there are some through lines between Michael Clayton and Andor just in terms of of Tony's style or his mm-hmm. writing of of just like we're going to have complex characters um, who you're immediately going to feel invested with, but we're not going to tell you their whole story. And I think that's a particularly powerful kind of screenwriting.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you've compelled me that I need to start. I, I've been a little overwhelmed by. I just can't keep up with all, with There's everything. So much. <laughs> well, not not just the Star War Star Wars world, but the you know the new Lord of the Rings show and. Uh, the Game of Thrones show and all these things. it's been a little hard, and so I've had to you know I, I generally kind of look at the reviews of things and decide whether or not to uh watch it or not and so I forgot what the last star wars uh series that came out was, but that was one I skipped because I was just like I, you know I, I don't know so but i've I've seen such high praise for this one. now you just saying that i'm like i feel i feel compelled to, <laughs> to watch
1: it's, it. It's definitely worth your time.
0: Yeah. Well, um, OK, so we're going to go into our movie musings uh, segment. I, I think we uh, if we haven't inspired people to watch this movie at this point, I, 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 I <laughs> then what are we doing? I, movie musings. Technology doesn't play a prominent role in this story, but <laughs> the, the the flip phones, I mean, are very prevalent. Um, I laughed at when uh, the, uh, the 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 goons, so to speak, break into Arthur's uh, apartment. And he's like taking pictures with an actual digital camera uh, versus his phone and stuff. But uh, my question to you is, is there an old piece of tech? Maybe that you don't necessarily wish it still exists, but something that you have a nostalgic feeling for
1: (laughs) the flip phones were unavoidable in this movie. Like anytime someone pulled out a phone and they flipped it open, I was like, "Yep, that that was for sure the 2000s and not not today there was a blackberry uh at one point and i was like oh hey (laughs) yeah i still have like a digital camera sitting like in a closet just in a bag and it's like i don't know why i'm holding on to that like (laughs) it you know probably only could like take a picture like three pixels or whatever compared to whatever my iphone now does um there was a certain nostalgia i felt For the flip phone i was like oh yeah like it felt cool to be like i'm gonna flip this open and and either send a text or um you know get a call which is you know it's not as cool as just like pulling something out of your pocket and holding it up to your head it's like no flipping it open or like the matrix style phone where like it shot out of the bottom or whatever it's like yeah maybe we should bring back you know dynamic phones that that do tricks before we text or talk and then i'm like michael if that's the thing you're fixating on like maybe there's more to life
0: (laughs) well well going back to when uh when I first saw this movie, uh, when I started a Whitney, I definitely had the blue razor uh, flip phone. And so that it definitely brought back memories of that. But it, it really just it got kind of, the moment where uh, Michael takes a picture of Karen after he's like basically dropped the bomb on her. And he just has that little flip phone <laughs> and takes that picture. <laughs> and, I, and I just kind of laugh going, "I what, what was that picture like? What was the point of that picture? I, I don't know. Like, yeah they're like even if it went to like a criminal course they i just imagine them throwing that photo up and it and i'm sure it would have been so pixelated they've been like right what, what what are you what are you showing us here in yeah this exactly yeah <laughs> anyway i i thought that was really funny and also i kind of that that was one where i mean i think this movie completely holds up today but i, I even wondered with like them chasing michael clayton at the end and the car chase and stuff i i couldn't help but think like oh they could have easily just they could easily tell where he would be now these days you right. know where, where he turned off and they're like oh my gosh where did he go and it's like oh they would definitely have been we, a we lot you gotta easier. get signal
1: to detonate the bomb and it's like do you know like now no i don't think
0: yeah. so yeah but um okay and so uh, this question i i don't mean it 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 probably sounds more darker on the surface than it actually is. So uh, when I ask you this, like take away the thing, uh, I'm not meaning this to be a serious question, but if you were, if you were presumed dead, what is one of the first things that you would do? So I'm not talking about, you know, when I say don't discount your family, I, you know, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) but I started to think about like, hmm, what's like, you know, would it be fun to, jet off somewhere or to scare somebody? I don't know. This does, <laughs> does I, anything I come think, on? I so jetting off somewhere feels like that would be
1: hard because someone would know like, oh, his bank account had this action on it. So I think the move is like, no, I'm going to real life scare somebody, you know, who thinks I'm not alive. And just spook them. I, I think not, not anyone in my family, but maybe just someone that's like, you know, this person gave me a hard time in life, and I'm just going to show up, and I'm not going to linger. I'm just going to maybe, like, pop my head in a window and then disappear, <laughs> and then they're going to be like, wait, was that Michael? I thought he was dead. And then, you know, maybe like a week later, uh, like, send him a text like a, a mis- from a from a <laughs> phone number they don't have and be like hope you're having a great day and then send them like a picture of of me you know with a cup of coffee or something and just like <laughs> just really kind of mess with people's heads and maybe that's that is way too revealing of of how weird and messed up I am but um I think that could be a lot of fun yeah What what, I- what would you do
0: oh I, I i don't know what i would do necessarily i probably should have thought of an answer uh, to my own question but i i've always and once again not in a super dark way but i've always kind of wondered okay if, at my funeral like who would show up and i think yeah. it'd be more of kind of like more like okay let's take stock into the people that would actually actually show up or not and then maybe you bust through the doors and go (laughs) either like shock them or surprise them but um no i I, yeah i'd want to be like this is it These are all the people who showed up. What about, where's
1: everybody else?
0: Or as your family is like planning the funeral you're like, Oh, you're only planning for 30 people. Surely there's more people that will show up for this thing. Yeah, You picked (laughs) that song to go with the
1: slideshow.
0: Oh, that would be my thing for sure. And I know I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm really critical too much. So I know of just, Things like that and nature, like worship services or songs, slideshows, that whole thing. Uh, uh, my poor family, if something did happen to me, they know like they're like, they would have to probably work hard on that aspect of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, anyway, that's funny. So, I, I would say, just gonna wrap this up. I mean, definitely a movie we would recommend. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not the easiest
1: thing, like we've talked about with these other 2007 movies, but it is, I think, a movie definitely worth revisiting for those who maybe haven't seen it since then or ones uh, to view for the first time. Um, because I think it still holds up very well, like you talked about. I think it holds up very well today. I think it very much speaks into our culture. I think um, there are a lot of different. Fascinating arcs within this story. You know, Arthur's arc of, of this troubled genius who finally comes around to doing the right thing. There's Michael Ark, Michael's arc, which you know goes from being kind of this cold-blooded fixer figure to, to being really much more of a compassionate caretaker, uh, and really good friend and devoted friend uh, to Arthur. You know, there's Marty's arc, which, you know, seems unchanging in all of this, and yet um, there's, there's a great legacy play he's making in this movie. I, I think there's just a lot of brilliant characters. The I think the writing is incredible. Um, I think the tension you feel throughout the movie is good. So, um, Maybe this is not the date night movie like you and Whitney had back in '07. Uh, maybe it's not the late night hang you want, firing it up at at 10 o'clock at night. Um, but I think it's definitely worth viewing, uh, especially if you are like me and you enjoy a movie where George Clooney is wearing suits trying to figure things out.
0: It's, it's just a great. It's just
1: a great pipe for him
0: uh it it really is we didn't even really talk about the george clooney aspect of it i mean this is uh pure george clooney and it is actually real uh, funny to me that i feel like i feel like this movie hasn't necessarily been forgotten but i think um it has to clooney's canon of movies and i think he's really good in this i mean it fits him fits him perfectly as as well as his suits, you know. And so, yeah, I, I I'm i with you. I mean, you you really should have your own podcast. You've just said everything that I've thought about things and, no. and and better. But like, I I really enjoy this movie. It is it is kind of um it's an interesting start. I even watching it like when I started it, I uh, I started to think like, what why is this? Not that I wasn't enjoying it, but why is this movie considered great? And it quickly, you know, as it plays out, you know, so it, it feels like maybe a movie that you would, maybe people uh, you might would have to coach through a little bit, you know, kind of inspire them to take the chance on. But I do think there's a point, like once it gets started, as you mentioned, we start movies late and this, I had started this one late and I have just kind of a cutoff time for myself. I just have to do that, you know? And I got to that point and it was really tough for me to be like, no, you need to go to bed, finish this the next day. (laughs) You know, like I I totally was wrapped up in in this story. And so um, anyway, and I think it it just reminds me of something like All the President's Men uh, from the 70s. Those type of movies that um, just are really deeper and just almost sneakily good and how it's executing. Everything. So, um, yeah, no what...
1: i I completely agree. I think I think for those who would be like, "Hey, this is not in my bag," I think a great double feature with this would be Ocean's Eleven, another George Clooney mm-hmm. in a suit movie. There, there's the through line of the, of the gambling issue, but you get kind of maybe both sides of of the Clooney charisma, which is you know the guy who is struggling, trying to to make it work and then the guy who seemingly has everything under control. So Mm -hmm. if you're on the fence about whether or not to watch Michael Clayton, watch Michael Clayton, then watch Ocean's
0: Eleven, and then you're just going to feel good. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> that is definitely a good uh good double feature. Uh that just made me you saying that, I'm like, oh, I should show Hallie Oceans Eleven. I think she'd really like that. <laughs> so well, uh remember to visit moviesorlife.com for episodes, reviews, and more. There's movie reviews up there for uh things that we don't cover on the podcast. Um I'm just encouraging anybody that's listening to this, uh feel free to share it, rate, subscribe to it. It really helps us discover new listeners. Uh, thanks again, Michael, for joining us. I'm, I'm glad we could talk about this movie.
1: Thanks again for having me on, Nathan. It's been uh, a lot of fun and yeah. uh, hope to talk to you again soon about, about some other movies.
0: Yeah, no, that, that would be great. And uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. And I'm going to remind you too, Michael, just uh, realize that you're a miracle worker. You're not just a janitor, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.